frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. You mind telling me where you're heading, Trav? What's out there? Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the 1984 film Paris, Texas, starring Harry Dean Stanton, Natasha Kinski, and Dean Stockwell, directed by Vim Vendors. Um, this is a film that I chose because I, I thought I had seen it before um, when I was at school. And it was something that, you know, a lot of people talk about. It seems to be in a lot of lists about the greatest films ever made. Um, and I couldn't really remember it. So I chose it for us both to watch. And I think it turns out that I haven't actually seen it at all. I must have been <laughs> confusing it with something else. But yeah. I'm sure we're going to get onto that a little bit later. Um, as always, at the end of this episode, Brandon is going to share with us what he has picked for us to all to watch next week, um, which is very exciting. So stay tuned for that. Um, but before we jump into what we've been watching and talk about the feature presentation, um, we'd like to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. If you are a person that has been told by someone from last week to come and listen to the show, tell two more people. We said it was going to be like a pyramid scheme. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Keep telling people about the show. Keep um, hyping us up. We'd love more people to come and join the congregation and sharing this cinematic odyssey that me and Brandon have set ourselves. Um, as always, every episode comes up on a Sunday. We are a film church, so that's when it hits. Um, and you can find us on social media platforms at Film Church Radio, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the good places. Um, and you can send us a message about the show. We'd love to read them and talk to you all. That would be great. Um, we also post quite a lot of stuff on our YouTube, including full episodes, trailers, and deep dives that you won't find on the podcast so head over there and give it a watch and give it a like and give it us a comment we'd like to know what you all think Do it. um that's right before we jump into the main film me and brandon talk a little bit about what we've been watching this week um apart from the film so brandon what have you been watching so i'm thankful for film church again this week because <laughs> I don't have any other movies other than Paris, Texas on my list. Yeah. Blasphemous. But, you know, it's as long as you you've got the one film, you know, you're you're still yeah. in the practice of the religion. So That's right. You know, I'm good. I'm still going to film heaven. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um but I have been watching some T V shows like uh me and my girlfriend Sarah have been watching Daredevil ever since um Spider-Man No Way Home came out last December. Yeah. So we've been kind of slowly going through it. It's kind of one of those shows we put on when we're going to bed and we'll watch an episode or whatever. Um, yeah. And so we're almost... I, I had already seen it all, but she's watching it for the first time. And we're almost done with season three. I think we're on the last episode. And um, still, you know, I've, I've hyped it up a lot. I can't recommend it enough. Season three isn't my favorite season, but like... Vincent D'Onofrio really gets to shine even more than he has in the other seasons as yeah. the kingpin. Because like the first season is kind of origin story stuff. 
and so he he's not quite the kingpin you you mm-hmm. want to see him as yet and and by season 3 he's like there there's also some like interesting like political parallels going on in the film that yeah. are um interesting to watch is especially what Vincent D'Onofrio does with it and um I mean I I think when that season came out it was like 2018 so um there's a lot going on yeah <laughs> so anyway it's it's really great um I can't wait for you to watch it so we can talk about it yeah um other than that I'm like pretty much caught up on Better Call Saul right now they're they premiered like the first half of season six um, a few months ago, and they just started the last half of this is like the final season. So they've like split mm-hmm. it up kind of like they did with Stranger Things. Um, so I haven't seen the most recent episode, but um, I, I am caught up on the first half of season six. And have you watched any of Better Call Saul? I haven't watched any of it. Any of it at all. Okay. Well, no. Once you start, you're probably going to binge the whole thing. Um, and it is it is really, really good. Like, I know yeah. that, you know, we're both big fans of Breaking Bad. And when Better Call Saul was announced, it was kind of like, really, that's what they're going to do next? Yeah. Um, but Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman. Well, it, Saul Goodman is you find out is a character that he's created and and okay. his real his real name is Jimmy McGill, which I think they, they hint to in Breaking Bad. They only mention it in like one episode or whatever. You can kind of forget about yeah. it. But man, it's so, so good. I mean, uh the writing again, it's like all the things that made Breaking Bad so good. The writing, the cinematography, the acting, the all the th- filmmaking stuff that makes like mm-hmm. masterpieces is in this show. Yeah. Um, the character development, all that stuff. So I wonder why it's not as talked about as breaking bad then. I don't know. I think it's because it's maybe weird. the breaking bad fan base didn't all jump on it, but like the people that mm. have seen better call Saul, like I don't hear anyone saying anything bad about it that has seen yeah. it and they're all up for Emmys. I mean, it's already one, as far as I know, well, I don't know if it's it's. I'm pretty sure that Bob Odenkirk has won at least one Emmy. I don't really know. I know he's been nominated. Um, yeah. And then his co-star was just nominated uh, for this season as well. So it's good. Some of the best TV yeah. out there. Um, and if you love Breaking Bad, you're gonna love Better Call Saul. Unfortunately, they don't put out the season, like the most recent season, until like a year after. It premieres on Netflix okay. anyway. Um, so right now, all it's there's five seasons on Netflix. Yeah, but once you start, you're going to be hooked. So just be warned. <laughs> yeah, get ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've started Umbrella Academy season three, mm. um, and so far so good. It's a good show. Yeah, Chelsea likes it. I've never watched it again. Yeah, I'm not like I, there's something about TV that. I, mm, I don't know. Like, I have to be really into it. Yeah, for sure. If that means. Like, yeah. And just, I think it's the undertaking. It's like knowing. Well, like, there's just okay, so you know. much. There's yeah, so much exactly. TV out there. It seems to yeah. be the thing that's like, that, like more people watch TV shows than movies, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, definitely. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to like 
indie stuff. Like there's more people watching like random you know, one-off series or or just independent shows than they are independent films like you and I might watch. Yeah. So, mm, it's true. But yeah, what have you been watching? Um, I'm going to talk about TV first. So okay. Like we kind of talked about TV already. Um, the new Apple TV show, Blackbird, um, has started. And they put the first two episodes up and now it's kind of weekly for, I think, the last four. Okay. Um, and so we've watched the first two. We haven't watched the one that was released last Friday, I think now. Um, but that is really good. It's uh, Taryn Edgerton and Paul Waterhauser. Yeah. Who was in Itonia and Richard Jewell and um you'll Oh know, yeah, okay. Like when you I see remember him. seeing the previous yeah. for that, yeah. Um and basically um Taron Edgerton kind of gets is a character that gets put in prison and um he wants to get out early, so they offer him a deal where he goes to um a prison for the criminally insane to try and get some information out of um this guy Larry Hall, um, who's kind of who's in there, but they're not quite sure. You're never quite sure like if he's actually done it or if he's just like confessing to things, uh-huh. you know? Um, and it's just a really tense like drama. It's really yeah. like scary. You know, you kind of, it puts yourself, it puts you in their shoes. Yeah. Especially the Taron Edgerton character. And you're just like, this is, this is insane. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a true story. So um, I'm trying my best not to look it up, right? Because I don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to get spoiled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, performances are really good. Greg Kinnear's in it um, as well, which I don't feel like I've seen Greg Kinnear for like a long time. Yeah, um, which is great. So, and that's on Apple TV. So that's definitely worth a watch. Sweet. Um, but film wise, so I finished the um, Apple trilogy. Yes. Um, Satyajit Ray's um, magnum opus. It's um, I finished it with the world of Apu, and we we talked about this a little bit last week about how it was like the higher of the three. Yeah. Um, in terms of rating, and I was looking forward to seeing it. Um, and it is it is really good. Um, I think I enjoyed the first part of the trilogy a lot more than the other two. Uh-huh. I mean, the other two were really good. Yeah. But I think the first one just worked for me a lot more. Um, and there was a lot of things in it that I'm not sure if that was supposed to be the message, but I took away from it, you know, and it just, it was like a really satisfying conclusion to this story. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, the trilogy is just so good. So I recommend it. it they're, they're great. Um, and then I took a day off from work, um, pretty much just to watch some films. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> my, um, my wife's away working. I mean, you know, my daughter's at daycare. So I was like, okay, I've got a full day of, of being able to watch a movie. So I started with the um, the earrings of Madame D. Um, it sounded like I was going to continue, but that's the title. <laughs> it's, I, I never know how to kind of finish it. Um, yeah. A French film um, from 1953 um, directed... Um, by Max Opoulos. Opoulos. I might have been saying that completely wrong. As people know from the um, podcast that have listened before, my pronunciations are terrible. Um, and it's a, about a kind of a countess who sells her earrings at the beginning of a sh- um, at the beginning of the film, um, and it's like the ramifications of what happens to her and her family and 
the people around it after that. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's it's very very good. Um, really good performances. Um, because it's not restricted by the Hollywood um production code. It can go places that you wouldn't necessarily think it would go in terms of like 1940s cinema. Right. Um, yeah. It was just, it was a really enjoyable watch. And um, I was reading the booklet that was included because it's a Criterion disc. And they were talking about how people that love it, love it. And the the reason it's not higher up on the list of the greatest films ever, um, the person that wrote this article believes is because it's from a female standpoint. It's mm. from like a female view, whereas Citizen Kane and Vertigo are very manly, masculine right. kind of films. Interesting. Um, and I... It's kind of like I can see where they're coming from. I think it would do with a few more watches to kind of get up into that like best film of all time list. Right. But it was still really good. Um, and again, another recommendation. Yeah. I always like um, French films. Like, yeah. I think from any era, really, but, but yeah. that era too. I mean, that's pretty close to like the French New Wave mm-hmm. era right there. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it's just really like well shot and the, the script is tight and there's, you know, a lot kind of going on that kind of ties together. Yeah. It's, um, it's great. And then I managed to fit in Boomerang, which I know we mentioned quickly um, last week when we were talking about um, A Face in the Crowd, um, like Hazan's second film, I believe. Okay. Um it's. It, I think it would make a really good double bill with a face in the crowd. Okay. Um, I rated it um, three out of five. Um, it was. It was okay. Yeah. Um, I think some of it was a bit heavy-handed in what it was trying to do. Um, but it's basically about a murder of a priest in like a local town, and the police um, investigation is not really getting anywhere. So, um, the district attorney kind of comes in to help. Um. And then it's the ramifications of that. So it's about corruption in the government and where money comes from and whether just, you know, getting a win for the police is worth sentencing the wrong person. Right. All that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, it sounds like there's a lot going on, but it still felt a bit surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't go as me. deep as it should have or something. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell the, the themes that we've talked about you know political and influencing decisions based on popularity and stuff like that there it's just not as nuanced and well thought out as the film we knew before maybe if i'd watched this earlier i would have liked it a little bit more yeah but facing the crowd is like a hard act to follow yeah yeah but i think if any cinema wants to do a kazan double bill boomerang and facing the crowd is a is a great pick and that's a film church radio recommendation, ladies and gentlemen. So you got it right here. You can take it to the bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this is going to start. I'm going to watch a few more Kazam films in the next few weeks. I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. I went to Barnes and Noble again, and they didn't have on the waterfront, which is. I was like, dang it, that's the one I went in for. So. Damn you, Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll just have to go to another one, drive a bit further afield, but. Sorry that um, I like do an do a English accent sometimes. I feel like I just like do it and I'm uh, like I'm not actually trying to imitate you. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Everybody does it at one point or another. It just becomes part of the course now. <laughs> 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 uh 
like Chelsea does it all the time. So yeah. We're good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it. I mean, you know, a few a few films here and there. Um, some good ones. Yeah. So, it was a good week. It was a good week, yeah. Um, but other than that, Brennan and I watched Paris, Texas um, from 1984. And the IMDb summary is Travis Henderson... An aimless drifter who has been missing for four years wanders out of the desert and must reconnect with society, himself, his life, and his family. Um, as I said at the top, I thought I had seen this film before, and I was pretty sure I had, but I, I have definitely not, not, yeah, because <laughs> I did not. None of it seemed familiar at all. Yeah, you know, apart from the images that I'd seen of him in his little red baseball cap, I've seen. I feel like I've seen that still a lot. Um, have you seen other Vim Vendors films? Yeah, so I've seen Wings of Desire. Okay, I've seen that a few times. Have you seen? I haven't this film? seen. I don't think I've seen any of his films. I've been recommended Wings of Desire, but yeah. I haven't I haven't seen it yet. So mm. first, I mean, lots of first here for me. Yeah, I mean, Vim Vendors is a is a director that like I feel like I know the name a lot, but I hadn't. Apart from Wings of Desire, obviously I hadn't I hadn't really seen any of the other films that he's done. Yeah, um, and maybe you know Paris, Texas, and Wings of Desire are so good that they're the ones that you have to see. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this film I think was a little surprising to me. It didn't necessarily follow the mold that I was assuming it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much to get into. Yeah. Um, so after you kind of after the credits were rolling. What were your initial thoughts? Like, what did you think to the film? Um, I felt like I had just watched a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a bit of a longer film. It's like two hours and 24 minutes. Um, but there's so much there mm-hmm. that, like, I recognize that I had just seen something incredible, but I... I've only watched it once, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. there's I think there's going to be so many other things that I catch on the rewatch. Um one of my first thoughts towards like the end of the film was that it's almost like a Shakespearean take on Bonnie and Clyde. Mm, okay. <laughs> Cuz it's like <clears throat> it's like about this um this couple where the man is older and the girl is younger, you know, it's kind of a, a Southern Western look on America, um, or at least in the setting. And then, you know, when he's giving his speech, um, the Travis character, when he's talking to her yeah. through the window and going through their life or whatever, he, he talks about the fact that him, that they, made everything in their life adventurous. Mm. And there's so many ways you could read into that. You know, it's like adventurous in what ways? Like, did they go, like, when he's like, going to the grocery store was an adventure. It's like, why? Was it because you were robbing it? You know, it's like, that's where my mind went, was like, what were, it was like kind of a Bonnie and Clyde tale, even though they didn't go there. It's almost like what, to me it was like, taking Bonnie and Clyde and saying, what 
would have happened if they hadn't died. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thought. I don't know if that's kind of conceptually where the idea for this started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't really know the, his, the, the story behind the filmmaking or, you know, where the, the story came from or anything, but, um, yeah. yeah, that was my initial thought upon finishing it. What were your thoughts upon finishing it? I think I had similar thoughts to what you were just saying. Um, the, on the initial watch, there's so much that I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, not necessarily about the, just like about the, the overall themes, but just like the basic plot. I was like, okay, what has happened to the wife? Is she dead? Like, mm-hmm. you know, where is she? What's going on? Who is this person? What's yeah. happened? Why is he here? Why isn't he? Like all these questions that are kind of generally answered during the course of the film right. seem to kind of plague my first watching. Whereas I think the second time I can go back and really listen to other bits of the dialogue, if that makes sense. Right. You know, kind of listen to, I don't know, under, just get the the themes that aren't in your face. Right. So yeah. to speak. Because mm-hmm. there's just so much going on that, you know, and it's not, I wouldn't say it's overly dramatic. It's not, you know, yeah, she she's dead, you know. Um, so I think the second watch is going to, be a lot better in terms of like sinking into it and just enjoying the visuals a lot more as opposed to the story yeah yeah i mean the visuals really stood out to me yeah as the probably the high point of this film um Mm -hmm. just on the first watch like there seemed to be a lot of metaphorical things going on thematically and everything that as we've said we'll probably catch again like have more of an Not understanding on the second mm-hmm. watch, but I don't know of a better shot film than this. Like, yeah, it's every single thing in the movie looks incredible. I had no idea what to expect when going into no. this movie. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was like some kind of gunslinging Western <laughs> kind of a thing in Texas. Yeah. Um, there is a place called Paris, Texas. I mean, we both live in Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Texas. Um, I am not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've driven through Paris, Texas. So I always thought this film took place in Paris, Texas. But, you mm-hmm. know, it, it doesn't. You never yeah. actually go there. I kept thinking, okay, when are we going to Paris, Texas, yeah. you know? Um, so I wasn't really, I, you know, it. there's so many things going on in my brain and I'm sure it's the same for you watching a film for the first time where you're even if you don't know anything about it you almost are like trying to figure it out as it goes because yeah. like 100%. as soon as there's like a scene where there's a French woman you know having speaking dialogue I was like are they in actual Paris or is this yeah. is this scene yeah. in actual Paris France you know mm-hmm. um and and the title of the film is actually like a not a comma it's more of like it's it's not paris texas it's paris france and texas you know it's yeah. like a going to show the two of them but it's not that either mm. um and 
Yeah, so then then throughout the film, I'm like, okay, eventually they're going to go to Paris, Texas. Yeah. Uh, you know, once he gets in the car with his brother, I keep thinking that, or, you know, once he let his brother lets him drive the car, I'm like, he's just going to yeah. turn around the car and drive to Paris, Texas. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he pulls up this photograph that he has of a vacant lot that he's bought in Paris, Texas. Um, and you don't really know why. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, later on in the film, he leaves the family, his his brother's family. Um, and again, I thought he was going to go mm-hmm. to Paris, Texas. Yeah. You know, but he goes to Houston, Texas. Um, but, you know, besides all of the, like, the mystery of the film and trying to dissect it and figure it out on, on my first watch, the visuals kept standing out to me. It was, like, beautiful. Like yeah. every single thing in this movie was beautiful. Um, I really love like the scenes with him and his son when they're like on the side of the road and they're like under a couple of bridges, like yeah. they're under, they're on an underpass or whatever. Um, and it, the way it's shot just feels like, it feels like you're looking at, um, ancient Rome or something. Yeah. Like the way that the bridges are displayed as these huge giant things, which they are, but you know, um, it just made it feel like you were looking at things that you had seen before, but with a different lens, you know, from a different point of view, which is, which I think is the beautiful thing about film is like, you're looking at the world through someone else's eyes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think what surprised me most about the the shot compositions and the way that this was filmed was that the characters were in shot, but they're always placed slightly at like at a center of the frame. Yeah. So that the background or like the scenic views was the th- the first thing that your eye went to, mm-hmm. and then the characters sitting in the car would be in kind of like the bottom right hand corner. Yeah. Um. So that you could kind of. I don't know that so you could take in the surroundings and not be obscured by the characters, you know, but not really lose anything. Yeah. Um and it was the same when we get that great shot of when um Travis is driving the car, but you you just see his eyes in the rear view and you're kind of looking out through the Yeah, that through was through the a, front of the car. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a great shot. Yeah, there's just there's so much in here that, you know, just makes America look beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and incredible, you know. As soon as it started, I was like, "Wow, this is cool." You know, yeah. it's like those the American Western kind of settings, but not like up to date, you know, for today kind of thing. When uh, Travis at the at the beginning of the film is walking, he's like walking in the desert, and then he finds this like little grocery store gas station in the middle of nowhere and he's like mm-hmm. goes up to like the water pump to try to see if there's water yeah did it remind you of anything the first thing i thought of was fistful of dollars okay you know he's just like yeah. in this one there's just like one building in the middle of nowhere and he's like trying to get water 
like right at the beginning yeah. of the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's good. I didn't think of that at all. I think that I was too busy being like, who is this man? Yeah. Where has he come from? Where yeah. is he heading to? <laughs> um and even then, Where's you know, we donkey? get we get a clue like straight away as to who he is, you know, he goes into this gas station, opens the fridge up and it's just beer. Mm, yeah. And there's a second where he like takes a beat and then closes the door and tries to find water. Yeah. You know, yeah. and straight away I was like, hmm, is he yeah. an alcoholic? Like, is he, was he an alcoholic? Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. This is, I think that, this is what I was saying. I think that now that I know the story, because even then, like, nobody had said a word yet. It was just the visuals. So I was paying more attention to them. Right. But then as soon as, like, things started to come out, you kind of, I don't know, you, you don't lose track of it, but you're just focusing on the other things. Right, yeah. So now that I know the basic story and I can kind of, I don't know, watch the screen instead of listen to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, there'll be a lot more that I'm sure I'll pick up on. Yeah. There were a lot of like, I mean, there's so much to love in this film. Like, I think I'm going to enjoy watching this. Like, the more I watch this film, the more I'm going to enjoy it. There was, yeah. there was parts of it that almost reminded me of like Napoleon Dynamite. Mm-hmm. in a weird way just like the way that some of those diner scenes were shot um and just the dialogue scenes i mean the dialogue wasn't as you know ridiculous and jokey and quotable as like napoleon dynamite yeah but just like that kind of basic like here's a question here's an answer you know the way that the back and forth just went um, and the way it was shot mixed with that kind of was like, this feels like Napoleon dynamite a little bit. Yeah. Um, There's like a scene where I think he's, maybe it's in that diner scene where he's, the brothers are talking and he's like saying that he's been gone for four years and he's like, it's four years a long time. And he's like, it is for a kid, you know? Um, and then there's like some comedic moments, like when, the, when the kid, like after they watch the super eight movie, the kid is like, good night, dad. And then he goes over to his real dad and he's like, good night, dad. <laughs> I, I found that part really moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is moving. Yes. Yeah. Uh, cause you don't expect him to call him dad, you yeah. know, you, cause at first he's like very, he doesn't want to talk to him doesn't really want to acknowledge him. Like there's a scene where he's sitting in the car, like hiding in the car and, and mm-hmm. his uncle slash stepdad comes out and he's like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, I'm driving. Yeah. Just driving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, that change to like not wanting to talk to him to you're my dad now happens yeah. really fast. Um, it does. And, and I really appreciated all of the kids' moments in this film because they felt so real. Mm-hmm. Um, like things that a kid would really say at that age. You know, it's it's the kind of dialogue that would be really hard to write. And so and yeah. I'm wondering if maybe they improvise some of that because of how yeah, perfect it is. I was thinking the same thing, especially when they're looking through the photo album and he kind of describes like the water coming out of the hose in the picture. And he's like, I love that how it's like, and then it kind of goes, yeah, you know, it's like noises. And I'm like, you couldn't really, I don't think a kid would understand 
like how to kind of I mean not necessarily to say it but like what they were going for yeah so I think there are moments of improvisation especially between those two characters yeah yeah because um you know you could tell them like hey tell us what you like about this water toes or yeah exactly or just like you know maybe they did a lot of takes and they eventually got there you know yeah and travis is just like right yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep which like being a parent you know that happens a lot yeah children say things and you're like yeah that's okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah um uh, and then there's like a scene where uh the kid is standing outside of his school with next to his friend and his dad is there. This is after yeah. another scene where his, he, you know, he, his dad wanted to walk him home and he didn't. This is, pa- this is after that. And he's at school again with his friend and the kid's like, who is that? And he's like, that's my dad. And he's like, I thought you already had a dad. And he's like, I've got two dads, I guess. And he's yeah. like, how do you have two fathers? And he's like, just lucky, I guess. <laughs> I thought that was just like really sweet, you know. Yeah, and just like, yeah, yeah it, it, you know, it's like where do you find that stuff? There's something mm-hmm. beautiful in it, yeah, you know, yeah, and poetic about it for sure. Yeah, and I think that that the father son relationships is I know for a lot of people why this film is so important to them. Yeah, it's just kind of seeing a less than perfect father-son relationship and still have them be able to bond and kind of grow out of it. Yeah. You know, um, which is, which is great. And also, you know, mother-son relationship as well. It's, there's a lot to unpack it. Like in, in the end, final, you know, 20 minutes when Travis is given his whole speech about what happened to them. There's so much in there to unpack. Oh yeah. In terms of like character. There's a whole nother like, four hour movie in there yeah you know there's obviously there's like jealousy there's depression there's you know i don't know there's um, alcoholism alcoholism yeah poverty you Mm -hmm. know living in a trailer all these kind of things that are just kind of verbal abuse verbal yeah mental abuse yeah Yeah. um i mean even like i mean he even says at one point that he like takes off his belt and he like ties her onto something. Yeah. And goes to bed. Yeah, puts a bell on her foot so that he knows that she's getting out of bed and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's Yeah, I mean there's a lot in there to unpack and I think you know, A the the lot the photo of the lot he has the empty lot in Paris, Texas is pretty much you know, it is his relationship. He's like he's fondly looking at it. He keeps it close to him, but there's nothing there. Yeah. You know, it's something that's driven him for years and years, but it's not a house. It's not a home. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, And you can just tell that, I mean, maybe he's not the character of Travis isn't, he's very childlike in his approach to things, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't know if that has been developed after, um, after the kind of breakdown of his marriage in the last four years, or whether that was him as a character before. Right. Um, And the more I think about it, the more I think that it was probably him as a person before. Right. Because the way that um, Dean and um, his wife 
Dean Stockwell, sorry, and um, his wife in the film kind of deal with him and talk about him. It makes me think that he's always been kind of like know what that. it is. Maybe, yeah, maybe on the spectrum. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Like what character beats necessarily mean in terms of his personality. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to tell if it, if it was like a, a cause of alcoholism or maybe a yeah. cause of insecurities and yeah or just you know coming out of alcoholism yeah you know coming yeah. coming out of that fog of just like drinking every day for four plus years or however long yeah. it's been you know I mean, maybe it's been a problem his whole life or whatever but i guess he's not really i mean he hasn't really quit alcohol though has he I mean, I, there's only the one time I can think of in the movie where he's like at the bar drinking a beer and his son is like, why are you drinking that? It stinks. And yeah. He like goes to the car and he's like, I'll have another. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess the the closer he is to his ex-wife, like the more these habits start to kind of come back. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's something I might pay attention to next time I watch it. Is yeah. like, is that the only time we see him drink in the film? Is like when he's about to go talk to her. Yeah, I think it must be because, like I said, the, the the bit at the beginning, like he opens the fridge and there's like ice cold beers there. Yeah, and you would have thought if he was still, um, you know, drinking heavily, that would have been what he gravitated. Like he would have grabbed one. Right. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I think that they're just, and that's why in the end he kind of decides to leave, I guess, is that he knows if he is a part of this, it wouldn't be a happy home. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. You know, he couldn't, they couldn't, because when they were describing everything, I was like, I don't know how this is going to end happily, because that's a lot of stuff to just kind of be like, I forgive you. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and in the end... He just kind of leaves. I assume, I mean, who knows where he went, but I assume he went to the vacant lot in Paris, Texas. Yeah. I mean... Paris, Texas too. Because <laughs> yeah. part of me was like, when he was talking about his father um, and the joke he's, he always told him that how he thinks he was conceived in Paris, Texas, I was like, is he going there to end his life? Like, make it mm. like a full... You know, oh, this is where interesting. I this is where I'm going to end. Yeah. You know, this life. That was, especially when he drove off at the end, I was like, that would be a really, you know, he's kind of, he's not made amends, but he's, you know, tied up that loose end for his son and his ex wife. Maybe yeah. that's where he's going to go to see out the rest of his days. Maybe. I mean, I was trying to figure out if there's like a metaphor or like what the, significance of of that whole thing was where he's talking about his dad you know saying that my yeah. wife my wife's from paris texas you know and then yeah. he he there's like the scene where he's talking with his son and talking about how his father had this idea of his mother and when he looked at her he didn't see her he just saw the idea yeah and then also saying that he started you know when he was saying that his wife's from paris he started actually believing it and that it wasn't a joke anymore but it's all like still vague it's like what is that he actually yeah. saying here yeah i mean it could be I, there was a lot of things that i kind of started to think and then 
kind of changed my mind. You know, I think part of it was just giving us an example of um, Travis as a person. You know, he had to get that joke right. He kind of started retelling it like two or three times to make sure it was like spot on, uh-huh. which is kind of a very childlike, you know, adoration of your parents. Right. Um, but like you said about his father started to believe that she was from Paris, Texas, maybe mental um, mental health issues kind of runs in the family. Mm. And that's what we're supposed to take from it. Um, but then also maybe it's like an idea of a perfect relationship in his head. And it's yeah. something that he hasn't got. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many things in there that I think mate, that's the beauty of the script is that we're supposed to just take from it what we assume, you know, it's not there directly for us to take. Yeah. Cause maybe, I mean, the way that he says that, that he started actually believing it, maybe his parents didn't actually meet in Paris, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just something he said to his wife when they're driving through and she was like, that's funny. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to tell this joke. Yeah. And now he's trying to... He's trying to make the fantasy a reality by going... By buying a lot in Paris, Texas, Mm -hmm. you know? Which is like the... Kind of the way that he views his life. Or his relationship with his wife and his son, I guess. Yeah. Some deep, dark stuff. Yeah. And I think this is why it, it was very heavy. Yeah. As a film, there was so many themes here that, you know, it was dealing with. I mean, I feel sorry for the foster parents as well, um, Walton yeah. and Henderson, because um, pretty much the last we see of them, they're like, what are we going to do if we lose Hunter? Like, what's going to happen to us? Yeah. And then they lose Hunter, and you're just like, what happened to them? Yeah. And it never, it doesn't really, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. there's, I mean... There's so much in here to be kind of heartbroken about. Yeah. But I think that it's still, it feel like when it finishes, it feels optimistic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Which yeah. is a real hard trick to pull off, mm-hmm. you know, especially after everything we've kind of just seen. Yeah. So. Yeah, that scene with um, the mother when she comes in and the kid comes up to her and like the way that he like wraps his arms around mm-hmm. her. And then he's like playing with her hair and then he's like, your hair's wet. And then they just like hugs her again. And then she just like stands up and they like spin around and they're just like hugging each other. Yeah. You just, it's like, they're never going to let each other go. Yeah. It doesn't get more real than that. You know, it's like, it's, it's almost like they're not acting at that point. Like it feels real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it it definitely felt optimistic, but tragic in the same, you know, in the mm-hmm. same way as like Shakespeare is, you know, yeah. any kind of Shakespeare play is like a tragedy um, is what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. A beautiful tragedy or whatever you want to call yeah. it, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that part of that rests on the... Um, on the acting ability of Harry Dean Stanton. Honestly, I think that yeah. straight from the first minute, I was like, he's incredible. Yeah. And it just got better. You know, the scene um, with him and Walt when they're in the like diner and he's kind of talking about um, Hunter a little bit for the first time. 
and you can just see the tears welling up. Mm. You know, you can just tell that he's heartbroken about it. He knows that it was his fault. Yeah. At that point. Um, and then all the way through, you know, the, the interaction seemed genuine. He's just, he's like an alien, you know, mm-hmm. in a different kind of, like he stays, he's awake all the time. He doesn't really eat very often. You know, he's very, he's just otherworldly. Yeah. And I think that's down to um, Stanton's performance as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was incredible. He's one of those people that I feel like I've seen in a lot of stuff, but I can't really be like, oh, yeah, he was this and that and that guy and this. Um, I mean, I first knew him from Alien. Yeah. So that's kind of where my, I don't know, my first interaction Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of came from. So. But there's, I mean, probably a list as long as your arm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very short. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Got little T-Rex arms. Yeah. Oh my Not really. That was a joke. <laughs> um, Listeners are just imagining what I look like. Just like little tiny T-Rex arms. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were saying... <laughs> Um, written by Sam Shepard, who is also an actor. Um, oh, okay. And some things that um, I found out was that it wasn't that the shooting started in 1983 and the screenplay wasn't complete yet. Um, mm. And then he like they wanted the characters to kind of start from the beginning of the film and work their way through it and really get to know the characters before they decided where it went. Gotcha. And then Sam Shepard kind of wrote that ending in relation to the char- the actors' performances yeah. along the way. Um, which, I mean, it did feel real. As we've said, you know, it didn't feel forced. Um, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way to go about it and also scary as heck. You know, yeah. it's like that's a... It'd be interesting to learn how they, I mean, I guess Ben Vendors maybe had an established career and, you know, this wasn't a huge budget. It's It always blows my mind when productions are able to pull off something like that because it's like, how did you convince anyone to give you money Yeah. to start a film that wasn't written? Yeah. You know, same with like Boyhood, you know, Linklater's masterpiece it's like Mm -hmm. it's crazy that anybody gave him money to just be like go shoot every summer (laughs) yeah it's yeah it is crazy um i mean so vin vendors was part of the the new germany cinema that erupted in like the late mid late 60s okay um post world war ii and the kind of ramifications of that you know this new group of young directors that um had seen what had happened, was against it, wanted to, you know, show their kind of life. Um, and up until this point, he'd been making um, films in Germany. I think he made one in America before this, um, before he got poached by the studios and kind of pulled over. Gotcha. Um, which strikes me as odd that, like, this, his most well-known American film, even though it's in partnership with, like, Germany and France, as, as the beginning, um, is about America and not about his own personal experiences. Mm, yeah. Um, it's because this America again is like, it's beautiful. 
you know, the I want to live in this portrayal of America, the house that um, Walt and Anne live in is incredible. Like that view over LA, you yeah. know, they say mm-hmm. that they can hear airplanes all the time, but it just, it's breathtaking. Um, the diners look great. There's like gas for 109. <laughs> it's like, I want to live in this version of America. Yeah. <laughs> the payphones and the cars. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it is very American. It's such a snapshot of a time. Yeah. Um, very which I, I think, yeah, it, some people work really hard to get a snapshot of like modern life. Um, but I feel like this kind of did it effortlessly, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what it feels like for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's even a a very 80s looking jacket that the kid wears at one point. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, like, is it NASA and stuff on the back? Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, this kid could be in Stranger <laughs> Things right now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I was listening to an interview. I think it was with Sam Mendes talking about this movie, and he was. Yeah. I I think it was. I listened to a few different interviews, so I'm sorry if it wasn't him that actually pointed this out. It might have been somebody else. Um, it was talking about how when they go to the big city, when they go to Houston, they're they're like the only people in the street. Yeah. And everybody is either in a car or behind glass somewhere. Hmm. And they're they're the only people that are like yeah. out and about, um, which kind of puts. It just says something about just like or the way that he saw society, I guess, at the yeah. time. Just everyone behind glass, which yes. I think it's mm-hmm. it's even more so now than yeah, than nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the parallels between when they're out in the desert and kind of wandering around we get the the guitar twang all the time because mm-hmm. there's no other noise but as soon as they move to la it's like car horns airplanes yeah you know it's kind of the music drops out to give way to the constant noise that is surrounding them all the time yeah you know there's that real like a country of two halves there's the silent you know beautiful and then there's the city yeah it does a really good job portraying both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I mean, it's. I can't yeah. wait to watch more of. Vim Vendor's films. Wings of Desire is very essential cinema. Wings of Desire. Yeah, I feel like, especially to understand what was going on in Germany and stuff like that. It's just. It's inc- It's crazy. It's incredibly good. That might be what I watch next. Yeah, well, I, I can't wait to hear on a future episode what you thought. Yeah. Because um, it's another one where um, it kind of ca- like catches you off guard. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, this is one of Akira Kurosawa's favorite films. I read that. Yeah, that's that's pretty telling, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a version of America that you would get from an outsider, yeah. isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably why it resonates with so many people. Yeah. Is that it is, again, it's just a this dream factory. You know, you can wander through the desert for four years and still end up, you know, in cities. Yeah. And surrounded by people that love you and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I did also read that this was one of Kurt Cobain's 
favorite movies, which mm. immediately made sense to me because the the kind of guitar twang that you hear throughout the film, like as soon as I heard that, I was like, this sounds like that one Nirvana song. Um, I don't know if you've heard it. It's Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Yeah. It, did it remind you of that at all? Um, it reminded me more of Breaking Bad. That's what Sarah said. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but just like the kind of very bluesy, mm-hmm. you know, acoustic guitar. I, I get it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, especially just, I mean, just the notes, I think, in the that little guitar riff sounded like um, Where Did You Sleep Last Night by Nirvana, mm-hmm. which actually I kind of want to look up now and wonder if he was inspired by, because it's about a, you know, like the main chorus is like, my girl, where did you sleep last night? Yeah. You know, which is like he, the Harry Dean Stanton character and, you know, talking about their life says that he got to a point where he was jealous and wondering who she was spending time with while he was at work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, th- like we said, there's just so much in here to to pick up on and kind of to wash over you that I don't, I don't feel like we've got half of what they were going for. Yeah. You know, but that's, what's great. It, it, um, awards repeat viewings. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I I just feel that the performances are, you know, nobody else could have played these roles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfect film. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in- incredible, and you know Harry Dean Stanton. It was actually his birthday a few days ago. Oh, happy um, birthday, my dude! <laughs> so I think we probably both watched it on his birthday. Uh, okay, which was really crazy. Uh, yeah, kind of kismet in a way. Yeah. Oh, same birthday as my brother Bryson. Happy birthday, Bryson! <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, my dude. <laughs> Even though you'll be hearing this weeks later. Weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not weeks, but a peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. What else, man? I don't know where you know, I feel like there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um and we could talk about what things meant forever. You know, I just, I think that every every idea that I've had while watching it the first time is going to change on the second viewing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's going to be completely, a completely different film. Yeah. This is definitely a movie I would want to watch in a theater. Yeah. Oh, on yeah. the big screen. Being Completely yeah. change mm-hmm. the way that you see it. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. thinking about all those shots, just like. I know. Yeah, the landscapes and stuff, mm-hmm. and just the way that everything was staged. You know, I'm thinking about when he goes to the when his brother goes to the doctor's place, and he's like, oh, "We left this morning," and then we cut and we kind of see Travis walking across the train tracks towards us, and then the car appears in the distance at like just the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just everything is just perfectly like um, put together. It's just great. Yeah. Great filmmaking. A lot to yeah. learn here. 
that's it for all you filmmakers out there yeah um that was one of the things i was going to ask you just like what did you get from it i mean what did you make of the filmmaking as a filmmaker um i don't know that's a hard thing to answer other than like things i've already said i think i mean there's Mm -hmm. there's a ton to study here um i think I think this film is going to go in a certain like slot in my brain mm-hmm. of like you know if I'm going to be making enough film if I'm going to I don't know I it, like as something that I would reference for all yeah. kinds of films I might try to make basically yeah. like not not even necessarily in the same vein of of you know the kind of American west southern thing that it is um yeah but the just the the way that the characters are handled and some of the compositions and i don't know there's there's just so much there it's it's hard to really to say exactly but i'm sure i was just yeah just because as someone that's never really made a film you know this kind of got my creative juices flowing so yeah i can't imagine what it was like for you yeah yeah, it I mean it's it definitely gets the creative juices flowing and it also is like intimidating. It's like, dear God, yeah. how do I ever get there? <laughs> you know. But um you know, the important thing is just to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never gonna That's get right. there unless you start somewhere. Yeah. I mean that's right. So Yeah. Do it. Just like Travis, he started walking mm-hmm. and got there. And standing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rory Calhoun's back. <laughs> the only um, other person that could have played. No, not really. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanwin's the only person who could have played Travis. Oh, 100%. But... Yeah. Um, I do want to kind of, my last thing I want to say is just that at the end, it's dedicated to Lottie H. Eisner, who was. Um, who was a big German film, I know, champion, I guess. Okay. You know, for some people, it is just a, a phrase, but she literally wrote the book on like Fritz Lang and Murnau and these oh, really gotcha. important German directors. Um, spent a lot of time kind of interviewing them and yeah. doing like a whole retrospective of their work. Um, so when I saw that name pop up, I was like, oh, sweet. You know, it's obviously, I'm not sure exactly why. It's dedicated, but yeah. to me, it was just like a nod towards German heritage and kind of mm. the cinema of these German masters, you know? Yeah. And just like Lang and Murnau, you know, vendors started in Germany and eventually got snapped up by Hollywood. So, yeah. You know, there's a lot of parallels there, but it yeah. was nice to see a name pop up. I mean, there are a lot of uh, German influences in Texas culture. Yeah, as well. Um, I've been learning recently. No, oh, cool. Through conversations, not through yeah. actual studying, but <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, for instance, barbecue. Yeah, like everybody knows, Texas barbecue is like. Apparently, we learned that from German immigrants. You know, the oh, technique wow. and stuff. Mm, that's so, interesting. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Germany, for the barbecue. <laughs> Dankeschön. Yeah. I think Damn. that's I think that's thank you in German. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Like, I, I took A level right. German um when I was at school. Not A level GCSE, like when I was at high school and stuff. And I, w- I really wish I could remember some of it apart yeah. from hello and goodbye. Yeah, I don't I don't really I mean I, I remembered that just from every once in a while hearing <laughs> someone say that, but my Great grandmother was full blooded German. Oh, cool! It's a weird thing to say, full blooded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just realized that. Just now realizing that. I mean, but that's something that people say or it have is. said around me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird to say about somebody. Yeah, Chelsea's from German heritage as well. So, oh, cool. Yeah, a lot of. Germanic influences in the US. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's guess what we each rated it on Letterboxd. Okay. Um I think for you is I think you gave it five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think for you four and a half. Yes. Correct. Nice. Yeah. I need to watch it again. Yeah, for There's sure. That's what like, I was thinking. I was like, threads. yeah, yeah. I think I think it's going to end up being a five for you at some point, but, um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot in there that I'm like, what happened? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Tell me. I know. <laughs> so I just need to go back and just kind of let it wash over me a little. You're bit like more. Walt in the beginning of the film, where he's like, "I'm getting tired of this. Just talk." Yeah, exactly. Am I the one that's doing all the talking? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, what are you going to watch next week, Brandon? And what am I going to watch next week? I don't know why I phrased it like that. What are we going to watch are we next gonna week? What are we going to watch? What is Film Church Radio going to watch and discuss the community? That's um, right. So, I decided to go with this film that was recommended by a former customer of ours, of both of ours, um, the famous Mav. Uh, a film called Deadline USA from 1952, starring Humphrey Bogart. Bogey. Um, I don't really know anything about this movie other than uh, she recommended I watch it and and wanted to know my thoughts on the film. You know, even if I hated it, she was like, "Just tell me honestly." Yeah. And. Uh, and I just haven't gotten around to it. I, I kept being like, you know, I'm going to watch it, you know, for sure. And then mm-hmm. just haven't done it. It's only an hour and 27 minutes. So, hey, oh, <laughs> a nice short one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And, and then, th- yeah. you know, I can I can say, hey, I watched that movie and recorded a podcast. And yeah, here's can, all my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> just in case I don't want to say it to your face. <laughs> Um. So yeah, that's awesome. I feel like as a as a bogey fan, I've heard this film like mentioned a lot. Yeah. Um. I've never got around to watching it. I think James Dean is in it briefly. Okay. Sweet. But I could be wrong. Yeah. I feel like he had like a non-speaking, like maybe he's in the background shot. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm excited. That's gonna be good. Yeah. Me too. Love some bogey. Yeah, man, get back to some some more black and white films too. That's it. The classics. 
Um, well, that brings us to the end of the show, I think. Um, you can tune in next week, hear us talk about Deadline USA. Um, and you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio. And you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Um, Brandon is at Salmon Scope, and I am at Walker Lewis 3007 to keep up with what we've been watching in real time. I log it as soon as the credits are finished. Got to sit through those credits. Um, we also have all our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. So please leave us a rating and review. So we know if you like the film, go and tell people about it. Add more people to the congregation. Let's watch more films. But yeah, I think that all that's left to say, Brandon, is... Paris? Paris? Did you ever go to Paris? No. Can we go there now? It's a little out of the way. That's all that needs to be said. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, y'all. Have Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget to say your film church prayers. Amen. Amen. Bye, guys. Bye.